All right, good morning, everybody. Come on, guys, y'all come up here with me. Today is Mission Sunday. So we got these two kids up here, and we're going to take a BGMC mission offering, and we are talking about the country Africa. Of Africa only has 80,000 Assembly of God churches, but the problem is there is only 36,000 pastures that's trained. So many of the pastors have to pasture three to four churches apiece. The RBGMC offering is going to support, it's called Africa's Hope. Africa's Hope it has 92 Assembly of God Bible schools. So it's actually a, it's a ministry that has Bible schools that actually train up pastors for these churches. There is also 250,000 Assembly of God extension schools in Africa. Uh, Africa's Hope also trains up missionaries as well as pastors. BGMC provides uh, books, computers, teachers, and more for Africa's Hope. And today I'm so excited because we have the opportunity to be a part of Africa's Hope. Whenever we give our pennies and dimes and nickels to BGMC, it's going to support these pastures and put them in the churches that they need to be in. So uh, let's just bow our heads and let's pray over the offering. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this day, God. And Lord, I just thank you for the country Africa, God. And I thank you for the people. Lord, I thank you for the pastors that have a heart to spread your word, God. And Lord, I thank you for this ministry, Lord, Africa's hope, God. I thank you for these schools and these churches, God, and that your will would just be done in each and every one of them. I pray over the missionaries and the ministries that the, the ministers that study in, in those schools, God, that you would just bless them and use them. I pray for the heart of the African people, God, that they'll be soft and tender and ready to receive your word, Lord. God, we just thank you for each penny and each dime, each, every bit of the offering. And God, I pray that you just bless it for your kingdom, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all want to grab the buckets for me? Right. One of you guys can stand on one side and one can stand on the other. All right, there we go. Okay, this was a dare. Ready? Here goes. 
Nope. Better with this hand. That's a dare. Now you got it. Sherry Meyer said, hey, I dare you. Double dog dare you. So there it is. I'm not, I'm not afraid. I have two or three things for you today. One, first of all, I'm going to read this uh, thank you card from Brother Gary Rogers. And didn't bring my glasses, so I may stumble. We will always remember our time spent with you during your pastoral transition. Our love for the church and people will always have a special place for both of us. Thank you very, very much for your generosity and love shown to us. With love, Gary and Paula Rogers. So they came and did a good job, and we really appreciate that. So that's from them. This will go on the board. You can read it again if you want to. I got some more. Huh? Okay, Wednesday, 7 o'clock, youth. That's down in the youth building. And those kids that are down there, I know they're having a great time because I've seen them down there playing and having a good time. Uh, and they always get to eat for free, kind of like men's breakfast for any of you guys that want to come. It's free eating. Uh, on Sunday, we have LGAG kids on Sundays at 1030. Um, July 15th, 830 a.m. in the fellowship hall. Again, free men's breakfast. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be probably bacon, sausage, gravy, biscuits, scrambled eggs, sometimes pork chops, sometimes hash browns. You can't go to the restaurant and get that and pay for it. We give it to you. So just come and try it out one time anyhow. Uh, June, July 1st at 8.30 in the Fellowship Hall is a men's Bible study. We just stay for an hour. We study a book, ask questions, and everybody gets to answer or put in their two cents worth. So heart to heart on july 18th at six that's all i know about it you what now okay did all the ladies get that no heart to heart in july resume in august okay um prime timers july 19th at 12 o'clock um doesn't say where, what, or when. They're not here. Okay, Faith and Alan are not here, so I do not have any more information other than July 19th at 12. So, would there... Pardon? Oh, I think you said something. <laughs> okay. What? What did I say? It's the 29th. Hey, remember... Am I back on? All right. If I'm not loud enough, turn me up, Sherry. <laughs> okay, we're still doing fill the pantry donations for our new pastor coming. He will be here on the 9th to preach. I think they're actually coming in on about the 7th or 8th. And so we're going to have everything ready for him. And when they get to the house, it'll be ready to live in and ready to, to eat in and play in and whatever. So keep that in mind. Uh, anything you want to bring, put it on the table out front. Okay, now, uh, tomorrow, here at the church, we're having a funeral at 2 o'clock for Brother Merle's mother, Wilma, and that's at 2 o'clock. But at 11 o'clock, if you want to bring food, bring food, and we're going to feed at 12 o'clock. 
So keep that in mind. Be a blessing to Brother Merle, Sister Robin, and to their family. They've been going here a long time, serving this church. So keep that in mind and bring plenty of food and serve them during this time. And I was talking to Robin earlier. She said they got all their family in and they're having a good time. Uh, well, I mean, they know where she's at. Why not have a good time, you know? So that's, and that's part of our life here is to pass from here and to pass in, into the presence of Jesus. So let's, let's, let's do that and let's celebrate with them and, and bless them with plenty of food and stuff to eat. Okay, uh, anything else? Okay, you guys that's going to take offering, come on up, whoever you are. This is, this is a mystery, I never know. <laughs> Julie keeps me straight. Sometimes I give her the mic back without praying. She hands it right back to me. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you keep us safe, that you keep us well. And Lord, we pray that we walk in your will. And Lord, that we stand in your presence every day of our life. Lord, as our service goes on today, we pray that you'll be with Brother Rick as he brings the message today. And that we will all, Heavenly Father, bless him. And he will bless us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to take this offering for you. Blessed Heavenly Father, for your kingdom and for your, for your glory and for your people. In Christ's precious name, amen.
that's our prayer today, God, that you would just fall in this place, God. Let your Holy Spirit just move freely in this sanctuary, Father. Father, we pray this morning for new revelations, God. Father, we pray this morning for miracles to happen, God. We pray this morning, God, for those prayers that have been prayed so many times. We pray for answers this morning, Father. Father, just let the freedom of the Holy Spirit just move through your people this morning, God, with a fresh anointing. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, we receive it this morning, Father. We receive it this morning, God. Just again. 
change our hearts as we stand on your word, Holy Spirit. We're going to do that. Rain time. We're going to sing that chorus again. And I just feel the Lord telling me that this is the time to just open up and to just let his presence just rain down on your life. Father, this morning I just pray for anyone that's out here, God. Father, if they need a touch from you, Lord, that they would just open up. They would just forget all that's going on around them, God. They would just open up to your presence that is moving in this sanctuary right now, Father. Father, I pray for minds to open up to the magnitude of what you can do, God. I pray for hearts to open up to let you do it, Father. I pray for a spirit, Lord, that is willing for strength and courage this morning. Father, just have your way. Have your way. We're going to sing that chorus one more time this morning. Just keep going right where you're at. the Lord. Thank you, Julie and Praise Team. What an awesome way to lead us into the throne room. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to say it's a great opportunity for us to minister here this morning. It's been a number of years since we were here. Um, back when... Uh, the Robertsons were your pastors, 35, 36, 
37, 40 years ago, <laughs> we held revivals at Lone Grove Assembly. Um, like I said, it's been a long, long while. We, we served as evangelists for 14 years, and quite literally, um, we went to Weatherford First Assembly to hold a revival, and they were without a pastor at that time, and they elected us as pastor. And for 32 years, we were pastors there. We changed the name to Life Fellowship. And uh, pastored for 32 years. God was very gracious to us. And then about 15 months ago, we transitioned the church to our college pastor. And he is now pastor, Dakota Marsh. And uh, we transitioned into uh, mostly uh, missions work. And so... Uh, uh, we've been very busy. We, I was, it's excellent this morning that your BGMC was going to Africa's Hope. That's the director of uh, Randy Tarr, former missionary to Tanzania, grew up in Tanzania, in fact. And there's a tremendous revival going on in Tanzania right now. But um, they're building churches all over Africa. And we are, we've been volunteering with an organization called Priority One which is um, a partner with Africa's Hope, uh, an Assemblies of God uh, organization headed by missionary Sam Johnson. What they're doing is building Bible school buildings all around the world, 55 countries. Right now, we're doing an awful lot of work in Tanzania and in Burkina Faso. In Tanzania, their superintendent uh, is Barnabas uh, Tukumbali, and God gave Barnabas a, uh, a vision, a goal, a mission uh, back in 2015 that he was to add 10,000 new churches. Very aggressive considering the fact they only had 3,000 churches to begin with. But God gave him the plan that in 10 years they would add 10,000 churches. I tell you this morning, they actually completed that goal in 2021. They finished it early. They had the 10,000 churches. They were able to do it because Priority One was able to go in and build for them seven Bible schools spread out across the country. We even have a great idea not only are they building the Bible schools, but we're building pastoral training, church planting training centers, and they're building 72 of those. And a pastor, a, a wannabe pastor can go to the training center, and he's only there for five months instead of four years, and he gets to go home every other weekend. So if he's already started a church, he gets to be there and pastor. If he has a job, he can still support his family. But there, we've got 72 of those centers, and, and I'll tell you this morning, 36 of those centers were paid for by Hobby Lobby. Yeah, all you guys thought your wife was wasting her money. <laughs> no, sirree. Most people don't realize it, but 60% of all of Hobby Lobby's profits go 
to missions work around the world. But we built 72 of those training centers, and now they have the goal between 2020 and 2020 and 2030, I should say, they're going to plant an extra 30,000 churches. And they're on track. They're on track. And then down in Burkina Faso, we've already built them uh, uh, seven Bible schools as well, working on an eighth. One was taken away from us in northern Burkina Faso, was overrun by uh, militant Muslims, and they took the property away. So we just moved a couple of hundred miles south and built a new one. It's just kind of what we do. They're on track to plant 4,000 new churches this year. One of the Bible schools where we had just finished building the men's dorm, it was a beautiful facility. It had 20 rooms. It was designed to hold four men in each room, and they would be there, a great Bible school addition. We went to inspect what they had completed. There were 20 men in each room sleeping on straw mats on the floor. They had 100 available spots in the school for students to enroll. They had 2,500 applications. So revival is going forward. And so I'm glad to see you're helping with Africa. So now they're going to put up a picture of my families uh, here for us. On the top left, that's my daughter, Stacy. And her three children, she's a single mom, lives in Thomas, Oklahoma, out by us, and helped us for years there in the church. And then on the bottom right, that's my oldest daughter, Desra, and her husband, Randy, and their, uh, three of their four children, they are missionaries in South Africa. And Randy is over Urban Tribes. Urban Tribes is a division of the Assemblies of God. See, we've done real well at planting churches in rural African villages. We've done good with that. You've probably had Bill Moore here, and, and, and Bill is great at building tabernacles all over Africa. But what people don't realize is the face of Africa is changing. By 2025, it is estimated that 80% of Africa's population is going to live in an urban center. Because when people, when young men, young women leave the village to go to school, or to get a job, or to get married, they never come back. Why in the world would you leave a house that has a cement floor and running water and possibly an air conditioner and move back to a thatched hut with a mud floor? They don't. And so the populations are migrating to the urban centers. And so uh, my son-in-law, Randy, is over this for the assemblies, and already they have planted seven churches in the major urban centers all over the continent of Africa. He personally pastors the one in Durban, South Africa, and Hobby Lobby bought them a building. Yeah. So uh, anyway, they're, they're building these churches. They're, they're fixing to add two more this year, but they're reaching out to the city centers to catch those people that are moving from the village to the city. So God's doing great things in Africa, but I, I've got to get back to the message. Anyway, we have, we have been, become active in, uh, in missions and uh, working with Priority One. We also do work with One Hope. Uh, in their pastoral care, and I am currently the Oklahoma District Light for the Lost Director. And so we're doing a lot, a lot, a lot of missions. But today, I'm in Lone Grove, America. 
with you. You're in Lone Grove, America. All right. This morning, we're going to talk about upgrades. We all like upgrades. In fact, the word upgrade is one of my favorite words. When they say, Mr. Freeman, we have upgraded you. I don't care if it's a meal or a hotel or an airplane. We even had them upgrade us once on a car rental. I went from like, you know, a little bitty Chevette box, and they gave me an Infinity Q45. Yeah. I was sitting on a plane not too long ago going from, uh, to Chicago, and it was an airline that I really don't have any points with, so I've got no shot whatsoever at getting an upgrade. And so I'm sitting in an economy row toward the back of the plane. I, I felt very fortunate that I did have an aisle seat, but I was still back, you know, in the cattle section. And so I'm sitting there, and, and, and uh, somebody was walking down the aisle that, that I knew, and, and we briefly chatted as they were moving by, and they congratulated me on my retirement from pastoring. Well, in just a few moments, the flight attendant came down the aisle, and she spoke to the man sitting on my row at the window. She called his name, and she handed him a piece of paper, and she said, here is your upgrade, Mr. So-and-so. And I thought, you lucky dog. And he looked at the piece of paper, and he reached over and handed it to me, and said, congratulations on your retirement. I thanked him and hurried to the front of the plane. <laughs> Living an upgraded life. Father, this morning, thank you. Mm. What a blessing it is to be in your house, to worship with like-minded people, to feel your presence, to know you're here. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits to receive what you have for us today. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible or your device, you can turn with me to 11, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. It says, By faith, Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently, that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Now, I'm sure through the years and through the various pastors, you have been taught well on the 11th chapter of Hebrews. I don't know of any pastor who has never preached from the hall of faith, the heroes of those who were following God. But I'm, I'm different. I see things different. And when I look at that verse, the first thing that pops into my head is, who in the world is this Joseph guy, and why does he care what happens to his bones? Seems strange. So to figure that out, we've got to go way back. We have to look at this guy, Joseph, and see if we can figure out why he wanted his bones buried somewhere different than where he died. So I want to give you just a brief 
the barest of Scripture about Joseph. And I'll tell you the rest of the story, otherwise we would be here a very long time, and this is already a three-hour message. Just seeing if you're awake. But I want to promise you, or I want you to promise me that you will go back and, and reread that story again about Joseph. There's so much there. It starts in Genesis 37. But here's the beginning. We'll set the stage. Genesis 37, verse 18, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Instead of hurting him, they decided to sell him to, this is verse 27, to sell him to nomadic traders. After all, they said, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the nomadic traders came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Now, when I preach... I call them take-home principles. There's some people that some people take notes, and some people write things in their phone, and, and, and some people like to remember stuff. And once in a while, people will write stuff down, you know, and they'll like stick it on the refrigerator or something. So a take-home principle is one of those things that you're supposed to remember when you leave here. Because what happens is you walk away and you say, yeah, that was, a, that was a good message today. And somebody says, what did he preach about? I don't know. So the take-home principles make that easier, okay? Here's the first take-home principle this morning. Everything that happens becomes part of your story. Everything. Say this with me. Everything in my life so far is part of my life story. Now, in the life of Joseph, he experienced five major catastrophes, things that would devastate most people. Catastrophe number one is that his brothers sold him as a slave. Now, that is an extreme family problem. I mean, his own family turned against him. That's a whole new level of dysfunction. I mean, it gets its own category, you know? You know what I'm saying? Catastrophe number two was Joseph was wrongly accused of sexual misconduct. Well, we see that in the news today, don't we? Catastrophe number three, he's thrown in prison without a trial, without opportunity to defend himself. Everywhere we turn today, somebody is telling us all about injustice. Somebody who was done wrong in the justice system. Joseph epitomized that. Catastrophe number four, while he was in prison, his friends, so-called friends, forgot all about him when they got out. Catastrophe number five, prison wasn't for 30 days. He was in jail for two years. Now, any one of those catastrophes would devastate most people. And yet for Joseph, all five of them became an important part of his life. It's, the, it's part of Joseph's story. They were necessary to get him from where he was to where he needed to be. 
See, every part of Joseph's life was pre-planned to get him into a place of authority where he could overcome a famine in his homeland that would have destroyed his family. And without any one of these catastrophes, he would never have made it to where God needed him to be. Look with me at catastrophe number one. He was sold as a slave. That's got to be devastating. I mean, when your family sells you. I'll be honest, you know, there was a time or two I thought of giving my little brother away. But I never seriously considered selling him. I didn't know you could. (laughs) So the family was in complete dysfunction. Here in Oklahoma, we would say his family was really jacked up. I mean completely. So Joseph is sold by his brothers. He's uprooted from a well-off family. He loses the nice place to live. He no longer has plenty to eat. He no longer gets nice clothes. Remember, his dad had just given him that handmade, custom-tailored, beautifully colored coat. Pretty fancy for a 17-year-old. With his family's money, I'm pretty sure that Joseph had a brand new high-performance camel, leather seat, two padded humps, four spe- I mean four feet, convertible. Life was good. Life was so good until his brothers sold him. Family sold him. Think on that. There are very few people who ever recover from a catastrophe like that. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1, it says, When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the nomadic traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, this is how powerful God's insight for a plan was. In the fifth verse, it says, From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless. Wait, wait, wait. He's been sold. He's a slave. And God begins to bless. That doesn't make sense. As a slave, as a slave, he got an upgrade. He's in charge of the house. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. 
in the middle of a horrible catastrophe, uh, an absolute dysfunctional family at its worst, bought as a slave in a hostile neighbor's country. And yet, that catastrophe became part of Joseph's story and became a stepping stone in his leadership to be where God needed him to be. Are you seeing this? Catastrophe number two was wrongful charges of sexual misconduct. Catastrophe number three was unjustly being thrown in prison. Look at this. Chapter 39, verse 19, it says, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Verse 21 says, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. Here's take-home principle number two this morning. God is always with us in the middle of our crisis. Where was God? Right there in the prison, in the middle of the catastrophe, in the middle of the injustice, in the heartache, in the most horrible of circumstances. He was right there in the middle of the crisis. Not when it's over, not when everything gets better, but right in the middle. Verse 21 says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. And before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Upgrade. Verse 23, the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. What? In prison, falsely accused, justly imprisoned, deprived of due process, complete and total injustice, and yet God walked with him in the heart of what would destroy the average guy. Once again, not only was Joseph blessed while in the catastrophe, so was the jailer and the other prisoners around him. It's always been my goal, if I get upgraded to first class, that I be a delight to everyone near me. Here's principle number three. How we respond to the problems in our life impacts other people and our family. So here's a great question. How many people around you are being impacted just because you trust God to walk with you? When you're walking in obedience is to God's plan for your life, the blessings reach beyond you and they spill over onto those who are around you. So now here's Joseph. He's sitting in prison with two of the king's staff, a baker and a wine taster. Now, notice the progression here with Joseph, okay? He was a slave, but for captain of the king's guard. 
That meant he had been upgraded to access to the palace. Okay? When they put him in prison, it wasn't the, com the, the common prison. It wasn't county lockup. They put him in the king's prison. It's in the palace. Probably the basement, but it's in the palace. That brought him in contact with the staff of the king. Are you seeing the progression here? So now he sits in prison. The king's baker and the wine taster are thrown in jail. Joseph's make friends with them. They have dreams. They don't know how to interpret the dreams. They don't know what it means. They can't figure it out. So they ask Joseph. Joseph prays. God gives him the meaning of the dreams. The dreams both come true. Both men are released from jail. And catastrophe number four. Both guys forget who he is. They never tell anybody about the poor guy in jail who wasn't supposed to be there. His friends were set free. He wasn't. The word says his friends never had a second thought. And then catastrophe number five, this went on for two years. But. Joseph is still not forgotten by God. Joseph is still in charge of the prison. He's still getting favor. He's still being blessed. He's still causing others to be blessed. He's still living an upgraded life. Here's principle number four this morning. God never forgets us. He knows right where you are. I don't care what's going on in your life right now. I don't care what's taking place. I don't care about the problems in your life. I want you to know this morning, God has not forgotten you. God remembers Joseph. God knows where he's at. God knows what's going on. And in the middle of the prison crisis, God is still blessing Joseph, blessing those around him. Let's go back to the story. Genesis chapter 41 verse 8 says, One morning Pharaoh was disturbed by his dreams, so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Suddenly, one of Joseph's former sailmates, the only one still alive, speaks up. And he tells the Pharaoh, he says, hey, let me tell you something. You got a guy sitting in your jail that when I had a dream, he told me all about it. You know what? It came true. My friend's gone, and I'm here. Verse four, 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. And after he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, it's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph the dreams. Joseph responded, both of the Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance 
what he is about to do. Verse number 26, the seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. And famine will destroy the land. You imagine, I I mean, we're all kind of close, not too far from well, whatever. We're all. I'm. I'm almost seventy. Okay. I hear. I heard my grandpa. I heard my dad say it, and and I've been accused of. of saying, I remember the good old days. Of course, my good old days were not as good as my dad's good old days, or good as grandpa's good old days. They couldn't even do that in Egypt. People didn't even remember the good old days. It was so bad. Verse 31 says, This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man, put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years, have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead, and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away, and guard it so that there will be be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. So Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked the officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you, so you will be in charge of my court. Upgrade. And all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Joseph is now in charge of Egypt. He's the authority. He has the power. He has the blessings. He's rich again. He can buy a new model camel. Here's principle number five this morning. God's plan always works best. It may lead through the family problem. It may lead through injustice. It may lead through confinement. But God's plan always works best. Now, for most people... This would be where I would really have a good close for the message. I'm sorry, I'm not through. Because you see, ruling Egypt was not the goal. That was not Joseph's destiny. Oh yeah, God had to get him there. He had to be in charge of Egypt. That had to be the place that he was. But that was not why God was doing what he was doing. God 
God's purpose was not to elevate Joseph for the sake of elevating Joseph. His purpose was to find a way to provide for Joseph's family during the famine that was going to destroy everything because God had made a promise to Grandpa Abraham that your family will always be taken care of. Somehow, God had to get Joseph from his comfortable homeland to Egypt and in leadership in order to save the family that God had made a covenant with. Wow. How many of you know it's probably not going to happen that a 21-year-old boy from Loco gets appointed as the Prime Minister of France. Hmm? I've been to Loco. I never saw the Prime Minister of France. You know what I'm saying? There were practically no odds that a 17-year-old boy from the backside of the desert in Israel would become the prime minister of Egypt unless God had a plan. Okay? Principle number six. Your response to your life is more important than family influence. Well, you don't know who my family is. Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> Trust me, we all know. You're still going to need God's help to finish God's plan. Any way you look at it. So God had to make a way where Joseph could be moved from his homeland to Egypt. And he had to wind up in the palace. And eventually he could wind up as prime minister. So what do we learn from all of this? Well, let me show you something. I asked them to, to get me a ladder here this morning. And if I'm smart enough to figure out how it works, we're in business. If I don't, we're not, but let's see. there we go. Let's say that you, like Joseph, are doing pretty well. Family's okay. Camel runs good. Clothes fit nice. Fatted calf is killed once a month. Everything looks pretty good. You're just living life and enjoying it. Life's good. In fact, you get to feeling so good about the way life is going that before long, you're kind of viewing life from a different level. You know, you kind of feel like you've just stepped up in the world. You ever felt that way? These things are so good, you just, you just kind of feel like, yeah, God's moved me on up to a whole new level. And then all of a sudden, the kids screw up. Or the refrigerator quits. I've got an above-ground swimming pool in my backyard. I love my swimming pool in the summer. Somehow, something went horribly awry a couple of weeks ago. And my sand filter that holds 300 pounds of sand the filter decided that it no longer wanted to filter. 
it wanted to transfer. It dumped 300 pounds of sand in my pool. I had a beach. So I go to the pool guy. Pool guy tells me what I need to do, and, and I, I, I had some ideas of how maybe we could repair what was wrong, and he agreed with me. That was a good idea, good plan. That ought to work great. And so I rebuilt what needed to be rebuilt. I put it back in, and I dumped in 300 pounds of new sand. I got up the next morning to find out that I have 600 pounds of sand in my pool. Now I have a sandbar. I was pretty discouraged, I got to say. I will say this. The pool guy told me, he said, uh, He's, he not only runs the pool place, but he's also a farmer. And because he has a business during the week, he only farms pretty much on Saturday and Sunday if there's any planning or anything needs to be done. And he said, Rick, for 29 years, he said, I listen to you every Sunday morning on the radio because we broadcast our church service on the country and western station. He said, for 29 years, you've been my pastor. He gave me $600 worth of stuff to fix my pool. No charge. So it kind of picked me up a little bit. How, you're going along. Everything is great. You feel like you've moved up a little, and then suddenly everything goes wrong. And you feel like you've been knocked off that level, and you're back down where you started. And so many times when things come against us, we feel like we are starting over. Am I preaching to anybody here today? You just feel like, well, I, I thought I was doing so good in the Lord and everything was so great and now it's not and, man, I'm just starting all over again. You ever felt that way? You haven't sang the song, Why Me, Lord, in years, but you start. And before long, things are okay. You know, everybody's worked things out. The kids are okay. Swimming pool works fine. Car starts. Refrigerator's great. And before very long at all, you feel like you've kind of worked your way back up to that, that level and things are good and it's going great and then all of a sudden it's not. And you feel like, ah, i got to start over again. What if, stay with me here, what if? If, when you were up on that level, and you were feeling so good, what if, when the struggles came, when the pool quit working, when the refrigerator blew up, when the kids got in trouble, what if, 
Instead of feeling like it knocked you off the ladder and you had to start over, what if you said, Lord, I see all of this, but it must mean you're fixing to give me another promotion. What's going to happen next? And instead of stepping down, you stick with it and keep praising God and keep giving him the glory, realizing God has a plan for your life. And before long, you find yourself up one more level. And you get up to that level, and things start looking so good, and all of a sudden there's a whole new round of problems. This time the gopher ate your chihuahua. Longtime family friend. You're worried. If you're not careful, it'll knock you back down. And we spend all of our time starting over instead of growing. Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, never lost hope. Basically, he said, hmm, well, I wonder what's next. God, you got something great. Now he's in prison. Hmm. You must have something really great for you. Never knocked him off the ladder. He just kept climbing until he finally got to the top. And I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Lest you were worried. What if we firmly stayed planted believing that God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. He's taking us where we need to be in order to get where he wants us to be. Oh, it doesn't mean all the problems go away. It means we change our viewpoint. We change the way we look at things. We change the way we understand things. We understand God's just preparing us for an upgrade. Father, this morning, mm, it's so good to feel your presence with us today. This morning, Lord, there are people that are sitting in this place. that They've started over so many times because they've allowed the enemy to convince them that when trials come, when struggles come, when problems come, when disappointments come, when heartaches come, it's because you forgot them or you're ignoring them when in reality, Lord, you were simply making them ready for what you had next. I pray this morning, Lord, I pray this morning that we discover that we are more than overcomers. We are more than victors. And that the struggles and the problems and the crises are there to move us to a new level, not destroy us. May we never step down the ladder again. May we continually be growing 
in you. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. With your heads bowed for a moment. I first want to ask this question. Have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and change your life? Oh, I'm not asking how long you've gone to church. I'm not asking whether or not your family are believers. I'm not asking whether or not grandma's prayed for you. I'm asking, have you personally asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of sin and come into your life? And if your answer to that question is no, I want you to lift a hand high enough for me to see it. You can put it right back down, and we're going to pray together real quick, real quick. Pastor, I want to be in that prayer this morning. I want to be in that prayer this morning. I'm going to ask everyone here to stand with me this morning, please. This message today may have only been for one person in the building. I don't know. I know that's what, that's what God does. Last Sunday morning, we were in Gary, Oklahoma. I was filling in for a friend who was on vacation. Gary had nine people. I brought my granddaughter and her friend, and we almost doubled the crowd. But I had another friend that heard I was going to be there, and, and he showed up, and he had a miraculous testimony of how God had delivered him from drugs. He had been in our church in, in Weatherford, and he went to Teen Challenge. He was there for two years and then went on staff with Teen Challenge for an additional two years. Incredible testimony. When he got out of Teen Challenge, I had him come to the church and give his testimony. And the police officers who had arrested him in Weatherford showed up that Sunday morning because they couldn't believe it. They wanted to see for themselves. He came to visit us in Gary. The message yesterday morning, or last Sunday morning, was about um, that God can give us hope when we don't have hope. I, I didn't understand. It, it's hard to know what to preach to nine people. I'll be honest with you. And Caden showed up. And I asked him, I said, well, when I finish the message, would you give a, a brief shot at your testimony? And he said, oh, I'd love to. So I preached on hope. I asked him to share his testimony. Out of nine people, one lady came up to us after church crying. She was on her way to Teen Challenge that week. She decided it was time to make a change in her life. She'd been sober for a few days, and she was on her way. She said the message was just for her, and Caden's testimony was what she needed to hear. You may be here this morning, and right now you're at the lowest point in your life. Can I tell you this morning, that's okay? I know sometimes I went to church thinking, well, I've got to pretend everything is okay, and I'm doing really good. Otherwise, everybody's going to think evil of me. 
Nobody's going to think anything about you this morning except you're struggling just like we are. Everybody that's ever struggled serving the Lord, say amen. I thought so. It's a pretty big boat we're in. It's a pretty big boat. Can I pray over you this morning? If you're, For those that are struggling today, for those that aren't really sure whether or not God loves them that much and just doesn't seem like scriptures have worked for you the way they work for everybody else. I remember hearing preachers that would say, you know, give and it shall be given. And, and so I would give and I'd get nothing that week. And I'd be so disappointed. I'd say, well, it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. I didn't know it was a long range thing. You may feel like the Bible is just not working for you like it does everybody else. Hang on. It's a big ladder. There's a long way to climb. It may take longer than you anticipated. Father, this morning, Lord, for the precious people here at Lone Grove today, The odds are pretty good, Father, that there are, are people here this morning that this week has been so rough. They haven't really considered turning their back on you. That's, that's not the issue, but they've just felt so worthless. They've thought about just sitting down and watching not really being a part of anything. They think that nobody wants to hear what they have to say because of what they're going through. The hardships that they're facing just seems like they're the only ones. Maybe it's family problems. Maybe, maybe their kids aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Maybe it's a job problem. Maybe it's a mental issue. Maybe it's a physical problem. But whatever it is, it's just, it's knocked people down. And they feel like Joseph, except they feel abandoned. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do your job today. I'm asking you to move in hearts and minds and spirits to let people know that God's not against them. Circumstances do not determine God's love nor God's favor. Situations do not determine God's love nor His favor. Problems do not determine God's love and God's favor. May they realize this morning, O oh Lord, that you're just preparing them. You're setting them up for an upgrade. Grant it this morning, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody who receives that said, Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Who gets this? I get this. All righty. Well, we're in good shape. We're in good shape. Hey, I will be here again next Sunday. I know it's kind of a holiday weekend, but 
uh, let's include God's house in the week. You live close to the lake, so you can get home. You can make it back. I'll see you next Sunday morning. I'm excited you've got a new pastor coming. I think it's just going to be an amazing thing that God's going to do in this area. So uh, y'all are a regional church. I don't know if you know that or not, but you're, you're not a Lone Grove church. You're a regional church. You affect a lot of cities, a lot of school uh, systems, a lot of businesses. Uh, you represent a whole lot in southern Oklahoma. And so God has got some great, great things ready for you. Father, go with your people. May they be blessed of you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you this morning.